Well, good morning. I got to honestly say that it's a special morning. It's great to see your faces, but it's, it's wonderful to see your faces over here. I don't know if you guys know, but these are some of my athletes um, from my, my old gym. Um, these are the ones that uh, I love to go in and, and coach, and their faces just always brought me great joy. And now as I get to sit here and speak today, I get to see their faces, and I'm just highly encouraged, extremely encouraged here. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this to work here. I'm trying to be fancy, but sometimes I'm just not super fancy. If it doesn't work, it's not a big deal. I'll just do it without it. Well, I would like to begin this morning uh, by talking about an event uh, that happened back in 1970. It was an amazing event that took place in Wilmore, Kentucky, at a college named Asbury. Now, maybe some of you have heard of this college, and maybe some of you know about the event that I'm going to be speaking of, but for you that don't know today, let me explain about this fascinating event, because this truly is a fascinating event where all heaven broke loose. See, it was February 3rd, and what was supposed to be a typical chapel service turned into something that no one could have ever expected. Custer Reynolds, he was the academic dean, and he was also the lay person in charge that morning, was scheduled to preach. But when he got to the pulpit, he felt compelled not to preach. What he did instead was something completely different. He opened up and just gave his testimony. That's what he felt like he was compelled to do. And after giving his testimony, he invited other children and other students to come up to the pulpit and deliver their testimony, to go ahead and go ahead and speak of their experiences as to what God was doing to their lives in that day. And many students quickly arose and proceeded to speak of the testimony of what God was doing in their lives. They were all very intent on giving an up-to-date testimony. God was working in their lives. And each person was intent on sharing. I mean, what should have been a 50-minute uh, service became a 185 hours of nonstop prayer, nonstop confession, nonstop testimonies, and nonstop worshiping. 185 hours. This was supposed to be just 50 minutes, but this lasted a long time. It became so infectious that Reynolds had to cancel classes in the university for the rest of that day and for the rest of the week. I mean, so many students were piling into the auditorium just to pray, just to confess, to worship. And some that were there said that they could feel God working in there, in the auditorium. They said that they could feel the presence of God, and they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave in fear that they would miss something. Now, others would rush back to their dorm room, slam a quick meal into their bodies, and then they would head back to the auditorium because, again, they wanted to continue in the worship. A revival was happening. In 1970, a revival was breaking out there in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College. And it wasn't a planned revival. This was not like someone was in charge of the events that was happening. It was just happening. A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit was imminent in that auditorium. And it was filling up so much and so fast that there was no room for people to go to the altar to come and pray. It was lined up four or five rows deep of just people, just students wanting to get up there, just just having the urge that I got to pray, I got to get up there. And they just lined up. Others were just getting together in groups. And they would get together and pray right where they were at. And there was an outpouring of joy that was just filling that auditorium. And the revival wasn't just stuck there in the auditorium. It was was spreading out. There was a seminary that was right across the street. Soon the word got out that this revival was happening. That this, uh, this amazing phenomena was busting out. And they wanted to be part of it. So they joined in in the revival as well. Other churches, both locally and nationally, were were hearing of the news because the news was spreading. And so they wanted to find out what was happening. What's going on at Asbury? What is going on in the hearts of these students? I want to know. We want to know. 
So they invited some of the students to come over and just say, hey, please, come to our church. Speak of the events that are happening. We really want to know what's going on. So the students went. Some of the students went, and they preached. And what was happening was that a revival busted out at their church. I mean, it was fascinating what was happening. It was an outbreak, and no one could have expected this to happen. Now, that was back in 1970. Now, believe it or not, this just happened again. It just happened again. I can't even tell you how much my mind was blown as I was preparing this, right? I had to think of an introduction. What should I introduce this, this sermon with? Well, how should I introduce this? And I found Asbury, and I was like, okay, let's, this sounds good. Let's, let's work on this. And then, bam, for it to happen just last week again was magnificent. On February 11th of 2023, another revival broke out at Asbury. Last week, chapel service was held on Wednesday morning. But when the service was finished, a group of students didn't want to leave. They stayed in the chapel to continue on in worshiping at the auditorium, Hughes Auditorium. And while some students were leaving to go to continue to class, others Others stayed, and they, they continued to sing. And the students could hear the worship choir singing, and they felt compelled to go back into the auditorium. This is amazing. This would be like us here at Rock Valley Bible Church, and we're leaving, we're done, we had our snacks, and we're grabbing our clothes, and we're about to leave, and all of a sudden we hear Ryan and, and the music ministry come back up, and they start playing, and we're like, well, what's going on? There's still more worshiping? Well, i, I got to be there. I, I, I got to be there. I don't want to go home yet. I want to be there. That's what was happening here. The auditorium was filling up again quickly. And others from colleges, local colleges like the University of Kentucky, started to come in and join in on the revival. Others that, that traveled from long distance, distances, such as South Carolina and, and, and Michigan, started to come to Asbury because they wanted to be part of the revival. They wanted to feel what was happening there. And by Saturday afternoon, remember this all started on Wednesday morning, but by Saturday afternoon, students were still lined up, praising and worshiping. They were repenting. And much like the revival that happened back in 1970, students now couldn't get away. They just couldn't get away from the auditorium. In fact, one student dragged his mattress from his dorm room, grabbed it, put it in the chapel, and said, I'm going to sleep here because I don't want to leave. I don't want to miss anything. Could you imagine bringing in, I don't think you should, but I mean, imagine what Steve would think if all of a sudden we had mattresses just lined up here. Well, why? Because we don't want to leave. We don't want to stop worshiping. This is what was happening at Asbury. This is what was going on in the hearts of these students. They didn't want to miss anything. The 1,500 seat capacity was full. Full. I don't know if you've seen pictures of what the, this is looking like, but to see this whole auditorium full of people kneeling and praying and, and hunched over and singing and worshiping, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Now we're going to look at another revival this morning. This morning I bring up the revival of Asbury because we're going to be looking at another revival this morning. And in fact, this is the greatest revival in all of biblical history. This is the revival of Nineveh, right? We're talking about Nineveh. The, the revival of Nineveh was great. And let me tell you something. Revivals are great. When your heart gets stirred and there's a change in your heart, that's fantastic. But let me just say something else about this. It's not so much the revival that's fantastic, it's the long-lasting effect that this revival brings about that's even more fantastic. I mean, what good is a revival if there is no change? What good is a revival if the change is only imminent for a day or so? Maybe a week, and then you're gone, right? That, that stir is gone. No, a revival is beautiful, and it's encouraging. But what's more beautiful and more encouraging is the long-lasting effect that the revival brings about. So we're going to be looking at the revival of Nineveh. Now, 
We have already gone through the first two chapters of Nineveh. I've come up here and we've spoken about the first two chapters. And it's been some time since we've been in the waters with Jonah. So I just want to do a quick little recap of chapter 1 and 2. And then we're going to dive in and uh, go into Jonah 3. So in Jonah chapter 1, we read an account of rebellion. Right? Jonah runs away from his commission from God to go to Nineveh to preach judgment against that nation. Jonah, who wanted condemnation to fall on the nation, runs away. Rather than going and being obedient, he runs away, and he finds himself caught up in quite a predicament because of his actions. I compared God to the MD 500. I believe you remember this. I've said this before. God was the MD 500 who goes ahead and he pursues Jonah in his grand escape. Now, Jonah, along with the mariners on the ship, find themselves caught up in the midst of a great tempest. Now, I don't know if you guys have kind of picked this up, but there was already a revival in Jonah chapter 1. I didn't speak about it, but those mariners that were saved, there was a revival that happened there. I don't know how long that revival stirred in their hearts, but those mariners who didn't know God and were calling out to random gods at that particular time made vows to Yahweh and, 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 and just praised him. There was a revival in their hearts. So rather than uh, sinking to their demise, the, the mariners and God had to do something with Jonah, so they throw Jonah into the ocean. Uh, the Lord has mercy, has a big fish come to swallow Jonah up. The big fish becomes salvation for Jonah, and there he'll stay for three days and three nights. Jonah chapter 1 was about God's sovereign authority and his mercy. We just sang, Lord, have mercy. What an amazing example of how merciful God was to Jonah there and how much merciful God will be to us. We move forward to Jonah chapter 2 and we read about Jonah's prayer while he was in the belly of the fish. And we talked about how Jonah had to suffer through much distress and much trouble before Jonah just suffered through some humility and, and, and just submitted to the Lord God. Jonah could have prayed at any time in in chapter 1. We discussed about this, right? Jonah got the commission. He didn't like it, so he pouted. Rather than praying to God, he, he ran away. He didn't pray for direction. He just acted on his own accord. And Jonah suffers much because he pays the fare. That's what we talked about in Jonah chapter 2 when we read about his distress and his troubles. Jonah 2 was a message for us that we too should cultivate a heart of prayer before the troubles hit our lives. Before there's all this distressing matters in our lives, we should continuously be coming and praying before God, not just when the troubles hit. That was Jonah chapter 2. And this morning we're going to continue moving forward through the book of Jonah. And we're going to dive into chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at three points this morning. In Jonah, we're going to be looking at three points. If you're taking notes, um, I'll give them to you quickly. And if I'm good at this, I can put it up there. Uh, but we'll see how that works. The first point is going to be the Lord's word. And that comes from verses 1 through 3. The second point is going to be the believed word. And that's going to come from verses 4 through 8. And lastly, the last point we're going to be looking at is the promised word which comes from verses 9 through 10. So if you haven't already, I would invite you to open up your Bibles or your electronic devices, whatever that you're using this morning. Uh, Those of you, if you're watching live stream, I invite you as well to open up and just to follow along. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to be going through the first uh, 10 passages here. So I will go ahead and read it, and then we're going to pray for clarity and dive in. Jonah 3, verse 1. It opens up. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, go in a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, and he covered himself in sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issues a proclamation, and he published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let us quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you just humbled vessels. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, that you would work through me, Father, that you would uh, help us to be edified by this message, that we would be encouraged, and that we would seek our own souls. Father, that we would just question... um, are we, are we having a revival in our hearts, Father? So, Lord, we just give you all the praise and glory as we go through this morning's lessons. Thank you for today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are going to be going to our first point, which is the Lord's Word, which is verses 1 through 3. Again, the Word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Now, this passage should sound extremely familiar to us. Right? What we just read in Jonah 3 should sound extremely familiar to us because this is what basically happens in Jonah 1. Right? We notice that right away the Lord comes back to Jonah the second time and he issues the exact same command that he did to Jonah in chapter 1. Jesus, or the Lord says to Jonah, arise, go, and call out against the great city of Nineveh. Remember in Jonah 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai? Well, here he is again, the second time coming to Jonah. And where Jonah was rebellious and disobedient in chapter 1, we see a different reaction from Jonah. We see a difference. Remember that in Jonah chapter 2, he suffered a lot. Right? Jonah 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah runs away. And in Jonah chapter 2, he suffers much distress, and he, and he gets a lot of trouble. He goes through a lot, and he gets humbled. He's humbled by the situations that had happened to him. So now we get to, to chapter 3, and we see a difference in Jonah. I mean, how can you go through the experience that Jonah went through and not be changed? How could you go through that, that demise and that almost point of death and then God spare you? How could you not change? See, in Jonah 1.3, we read that Jonah arose and fled to Tarshish. But in Jonah 3.3, 3, we read that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Where he fled the first time, he was obedient this time. So Jonah obeys. And he does what he's told to do. Jonah goes to the people that he didn't want to preach to. Remember, he didn't want to go to those people. Remember that? Those people. I don't want to go talk to those people. This time Jonah goes. He's obedient this time. Because Jonah repented while he was in the belly of that great fish. He sat there three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and and he was miserable. He was miserable. He had a near-death experience, and then finally he sits there and he says, Lord, what I vow, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. This is the path, the process that Jonah went through. And now here he is. He has to pay what he vowed to the Lord. The Lord commissions him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes. This is the Lord's word. Now, after being vomited out of the fish, Jonah makes the journey to Nineveh. And I don't know 
what kind of vomit this was. I, I kind of had fun thinking about this a little bit. Did, did the Lord just vomit Jonah up and did he fly all the way to Nineveh? Was he a flying prophet through the air? I don't think so. You know, did, did, did the, the, the fish just vomited up and, and Jonah just went up on the surf on the dry land? I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lord was merciful the second time to Jonah. What I do know is that the words Lord comes again to Jonah. And Jonah makes the travel. He makes the journey to Nineveh to call out against it. Now, let's just really quickly just remember that Nineveh was a city that was full of violence. This is a city that was brutal and wicked. And the wickedness of this city had made its way up to the Lord. It got the attention of the Lord. And this is why the word of the Lord comes to Jonah in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3. The work wasn't done yet. There was still work needs to be done. So Jonah, you're going. God was being proactive towards the city of Nineveh. He was then and he still is now. Now, Nineveh was a large, prominent city of Assyria, and it was so large that we read that it was a three days journey in breadth. So it took three days to go from this side all the way over to this side. It was big. It was big. And Jonah was walking in, and he spent one day, one third of the way going in, all because of the Lord's word. That is our first point, the Lord's word. Look, the Lord is going to issue us sometimes and speak to us. Sometimes his word is going to come and impact our hearts. We could run like Jonah, right? We could be rebellious like Jonah, but we've already seen the trouble that that's going to bring if we don't listen. Or we can be obedient, even if we don't want to. Even if we don't want to be used, or maybe we don't want to go that direction. But if his Lord, if the words of the Lord comes to us, we need to be obedient. This is the message that Jonah had to, to work through. And this is the lesson that we will learn. So we've gone through our first point. Let's go to our second point. Our second point. The second point is the believed word. The believed word is going to come from verses 4 through 8. I'll just read this again real quick, just as a fresh reminder for us. Verse 4. So Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he calls out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issues a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by a decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink on water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So we get in verse 4 that Jonah walks one day journey into Nineveh. And he calls out. He calls out, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and you guys will be overthrown. And that's it. That's it. That's all Jonah says. He says eight words. That's it. That's all Jonah offers. Jonah doesn't offer any way to escape the judgment. Jonah just offers judgment. And he exclaims to the Ninevites that they would have 40 days before being overthrown. That's it. And this is surprising to me. I find this extremely surprising because the prophets before offer judgment, but a way to escape the judgment. And yet people didn't listen. And here's Jonah, just offering judgment. That's it. And yet they listened. This is fascinating. This is God. <laughs> Jonah doesn't offer any way to escape the judgment. 
but the people still listen. Jonah gives a half sermon, but the people still heard the message. Now, I want you to imagine this with me for a moment. I, 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 like to, I like to imagine things. I like to put myself in situations. So just bear with me and just imagine with me for this moment. Here, here is this prophet, Jonah, okay? And he's walking in the midst of this very brutal and violent city. Jonah probably looks disheveled and dirty. I mean, the man was just in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. This guy was being trapped and with seaweed, being pulled under the water, flowing this way, flowing that way. His clothes are being ripped apart and torn. And then lastly, he's vomited out of this giant fish. And as if he didn't stink enough, he still has to make the journey. I don't know how long it was from where he was on dry land to get to Nineveh. So here's Jonah looking all disheveled and dirty. And he walks into the midst of this violent and brutal city. I mean, he's in enemy territory here. He's in enemy territory. And he tells them, you have 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. (laughs) What do you think the Ninevites thought? What do you think? Huh. What's this guy doing? What's, he sure does look disheveled. What is he? He looks like he's going to say, what did he just say? Did he just say we have 40 and we're going to be overthrown? Yeah, right. Who are you? Jonah? Jonah? And you're going to say we're going to be overthrown? I mean, can you hear that in your head? These Ninevites thinking this about what Jonah has to say? I mean, I'm surprised that the Ninevites didn't stone Jonah right then and right there. I'm surprised that the Ninevites didn't just surround him, grab him by his limbs, and rip his limbs apart from his body. I mean, this is the kind of brutality that the Ninevites were known for. They were wicked. They were evil. They were cruel. This is what they were known for. But instead of dismembering Jonah, instead of killing Jonah right then and there, they listened to him. They believed him. More importantly, they believed God. How fascinating is this? That these brutal and violent people believed the eight-word message that came from the lips of Jonah. They had ears to hear. Earlier prophets had their message ignored. But the Ninevites believed this half-hearted message that Jonah delivers. It's fascinating. Truly fascinating. Now, again, I just want you to imagine with me. Let's, let's take this scenario and let's, let's put this in a nowadays situation. Okay, let's, let's bring this to nowadays. Let's, let's talk about this. What if I walked out of this church right now? What if I walked through this door, I walked out through that door, and, and I, I, I walk across the street to Vince's Slots? Do you guys know, you guys know Vince's Slots? Maybe sound familiar. I don't know. Vince's Slots is that little establishment that's right across the street from us. Every single time we come to church and we pull into the driveway, and every single time we leave church, we look at this building. It's Vince's Slots, <laughs> right? So, what if I walk into Vince's Slots at the height of its busiest time? What if I just walk into the establishment? I open the door. I walk in there, there's people playing on their machines, and I yell out, judgment is coming to you. And that's it. What if that's it? I walk into the building, I yell out this statement of judgment, here's the people, ding, 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 what did he just say? Ding, ding, ding. Something's coming to me. Maybe a big payday. I hope a big payday's coming to me. I don't know. I don't think they would listen to me. I don't think that they would heed to the message that I am saying to them. I just think that they would ignore me, right? But let's, let's take this a little bit bigger. Let's take my example and let's go a little bit bigger because Nineveh was a great city. Nineveh was not a little establishment like, like uh, Vince's slots. Nineveh was big, right? Three days journey from here to here. It takes three days to get there. So let's take this up and let's blow this up just a little bit. What if instead of walking into Vince's slots, I walked into Schnucks? 
Okay, Schnucks is a grocery store. It's right on the corner right here. It's on Alpine uh, and, and, and Harlem Road right here. It's bigger than Vince's slots. What if I walked into the, the grocery store and same thing. I come in and I say, the judgment is coming to you. Listen, you shoppers of Schnucks. Judgment is coming. <laughs> and that's all I offer. That's it. I mean, do you think that they would believe me? I mean, what if I, what if I tore my clothes up and I just, I, I, I put this uh, fish smell all over me and I, you know, I'm all just disheveled and then I walk in there. Would that make matters any better? Would they believe me anymore? No. They would think that I'm delusional. They would be like, look at this character right here. Who is this guy? Look how disheveled and dirty he looks. He looks homeless. And he's telling me that we're going to have judgment come to us? This guy's crazy. Get him out of here. Call the management. Let's call the police. Get him out of here. He's loony. That's what they would say. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, a, that's what they would think about me. But you know what? That's not what we get here in verse 5. That's not what happens. Verse 5 says that the people believed God. And they put on sackcloth. They believed they repented because they believed. Everyone believed. From the greatest of the persons to the least of them. From the nobles down to the homeless. The streetwalkers, whatever. They all believed. Every single one of them. And that's a great lesson for us today. It's a great lesson. We too should continue to believe like this. You know, sometimes, sometimes we believe more in our politics than we believe in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we believe more in our bank accounts than we believe in the Messiah. Sometimes we believe more in others than the one who created the other. But the Ninevites laid it all down. They laid it all down and they believed. Let us lay down our politics. Let us lay down our bank accounts sometimes. Let us lay down our trust in others. Yeah, it's not bad to trust others. I'm not saying don't trust others. But I'm saying that we need to believe and, and trust in Jesus Christ more. The Ninevites did. They've all repented. They all repented, every single one. And they put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is a coarse uh, uh, burlap kind of material that's usually made from goat's hair. And this was worn as a symbol of remorse, a symbol of repentance. And wearing this sackcloth was a very extremely uncomfortable uh, thing to wear. It, it represented an outward expression of repentance, Wearing sackcloth is not like wearing fine linen. It's not like wearing satin. It was extremely uncomfortable. So let's just for a moment here, let's just go back to my schnucks example, okay? Remember my schnucks example? Here I am, Crazy Jake, going to go run in there and, and yell out judgments coming, okay? So rather than them throwing me out, let's, let's take the example and let's go the other way. What if I went in there and I said, judgment is coming to you? And they were all like, wow. Judgment's coming to us. We need to do something about this. I don't want judgment to come on me. We need to do something about this. Now, we don't live in a time of age where people are walking around in sackcloth and putting on sackcloth, right? When was the last time you saw someone walking around in sackcloth? We don't live like that anymore. But what if they believed and they all got down in the aisles and they prayed? What if every single one of them were praying with full heart? with honest, just admittance to the Lord, just like the students in Asbury. They were all lined up, just, just wanting to pray, wanting to confess, wanting to repent. What if, what if everyone there in Schnucks was, was doing that? From the greatest to the least. So the store manager, he would probably be the highest person there, or maybe the regional manager. He was believing and he was praying all the way down to the cart pushers. They are the cart pushers of Schnucks. They're sitting there praying. Everyone believed. What if that happened? 
And what if after they got up from their prayer, they left the store and they believed so much that they told others, hey, there's, there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming here. Oh, there is? Yes, there is. Well, what should I do? You should repent and believe. Okay, I'm going to repent and believe. And so then those people repent and believe. And then those people went and told other people, maybe their neighbors, maybe their friends, maybe their family, maybe their doctor. I don't know, but they just sat there and they just kept speaking. Why? Because they believed. And what if the buzz got so big that it just didn't stay at Schnucks? It didn't just stay at Vince's slot. What if it got so big that it spread across all of Love's Park? The whole town of Love's Park. And it got so big that it even that the buzz got to the mayor of Love's Park. What if it got that big? What if the mayor, Greg Jury of Love's Park, sat there and said, man, we got to do something. There is judgment coming. I need to send out uh, ordinances to all the citizens of Love's Park that we all need to repent. I mean, that sounds like an impossibility, doesn't it? All of Love's Park repenting like this, believing like this, that the fact that this message would go all the way up to the mayor and that the mayor would issue out ordinances that every citizen should repent, I mean, that sounds like an impossibility. But this is exactly what happens to the city of Nineveh. This is what's going on here. I mean, they covered themselves in sackcloth Because they believed. And the message traveled all the way up. Not just to the mayor, but it traveled all the way up to the king. And when the king hears of this message, he takes off his royal robe, he puts on the sackcloth, and he sits in ashes. Now, ashes would be uh, uh, something that symbolizes ruin. Okay, One would cover themselves with either literal ash or dust from the earth, and then they would put it on themselves or sprinkle it on themselves, or they would sit in it to symbolize one's finiteness. We came from dust, so we're going to go back to dust. And wearing both sackcloth and ashes was an outside representation of the internal condition of the person's heart. It demonstrates repentance. It demonstrates grief. Sackcloth and ashes was a way to signal to others that we were grieving. It's a way to show that you are humbling yourself before others and before the Lord. And all the people in Nineveh covered themselves in sackcloth because of eight words. Eight words. This is amazing. I keep saying this is amazing, but I hope you understand, like, this is truly amazing here. The powerful word of God working. It wasn't Jonah. It wasn't Jonah that caused this to happen. It was only the powerful word of God. He came the first time in chapter 1, Jonah ran. God humbles Jonah uses Jonah. I, I, you know, I could sit there and say, yeah, God, God is the God of second chances. But how encouraging is that to us that he can still use us? Even sometimes in our own rebellion and disobedience, he can still use us to carry out his purpose. It's encouraging for us. Now, going back to this king here, this king removes his royal robes. He puts on his, his, his burlap, his sackcloth. He sits in ashes. And this is amazing because you've got to remember that this is a brutal king who's in charge of a brutal city. And I don't think that a king like this would normally act like this. I mean, this king is probably a king that's not used to backing down very often. Right, And the city of Nineveh was a city that was probably not known as a repenting people. In fact, I can tell you, it was known as a city of violence and brutal. Not a repentance. This was not the kind of city that Nineveh was. They killed. They skinned their victims. They burned children. I mean, this is the kind of uh, of violence that they had and the cruelty that they had. And they celebrated it. They celebrated it. I mean, this is the reason why I'm shocked that Jonah was alive even in the first place, after he sat out and called against them. The Ninevites lived large. 
They enjoyed the finest of foods and the finest of entertainment. And if they didn't have it, they had no problem taking it. They had it all. And they didn't have any problem taking what they wanted. And I would say that this was a a violent and um, remorseless group of individuals who probably didn't take heed to message of judgment often. But here he is, the king of the nation, removing his robe to repent. The king issues a decree to all living creatures to put on a fast. Don't eat. Don't drink. None of you. And put on sackcloth. Put on the symbol of repentance. From the greatest of you to the least of you. Do this. Everyone, you got to understand, in Nineveh was all of one accord. They were all in one accord. They were all repenting. They were all fearful. Every single one of them. Right there is amazing. How hard is it for all of us just to be in one accord? Let alone a whole entire town. A town or a city as big as Nineveh. How, how hard is that? But here, here they were, these Ninevites, all in one accord. And what we feel would be an impossibility here in Love's Park happened in Nineveh. The king in verse 8 says, Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Let them turn and let them call mightily to God. Just like that. Boom. Just like in Asbury. A revival was springing forth in Nineveh from the most unlikely people in the most unlikely place. A revival was busting forth. The brutal king says, let everyone turn away from the wickedness and call out, right? Not just call out to God, but call out mightily, mightily to God. He's saying, hey, let us turn and let us call. This is the evil king and his actions right now. Let us turn and let us call. Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we turn away from our sins that stain our lives? And can we daily call mightily to God? Daily. That's the magic word right there. Daily. Not just Sundays. Not just for this hour and a half that we're together and then we leave. Daily. Can we turn and can we call? We must die to our sins. We must daily deny ourselves. And we have to pick up our cross. And we have to follow Jesus. And not just chase after the same familiar sins that are in our lives. This is is what I have to do. This is what we have to do. In order that we may walk worthy. Now, we don't kill, right? We may sit there and say, yeah, but Jake, we're not the Ninevites. They killed, they plundered, they stole, they burned, they did this. We don't do that. And maybe our sin is not on the scale of the Ninevites, but guess what? We still have sin. We still have it in our body. We still murmur, and we still talk behind people's backs. We still jockey for control, and we think that we know better. We still have pride in our lives. Rather than being humble, we think that we know better. We have hates. We have prejudices. Sometimes we're not any better than Jonah. We have that sin in us. We at times can be rebellious and disobedient and stubborn. We sometimes don't live in a manner that's 100% loving God and trusting God with all our hearts. We have sin. But can we turn from our sin daily and call out mightily to God? Can we do this daily? I encourage us that we would. So we've moved to verse 9. And verse 9 is a verse of faith. Verse 9 is a verse of faith. The king says, 
Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I love how he says this. Who knows? Who knows? See, you got to understand, the king didn't get a promise from Jonah or God that if they repented, that they would be spared. Jonah didn't deliver that message. Jonah only, remember, gave a message of judgment. But this message of judgment was enough for the people of Nineveh to change their way of life. Who knows? You know what? All of us, turn away. Turn away from your wickedness. Release the violence that's in your hands. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Put on sackcloth. We got to turn. Who knows? God may relent from the disaster that he says he's going to bring to us. He is acting out in faith here. There is no assurance. There was no promise. Again, Jonah didn't deliver that message. The Ninevites changed their course of action. The Ninevites changed their way of living without a promise. They were fearful. And they didn't want to perish. So they changed without any assurance that they would be saved for it. Fear and faith. That's what it took for them to change. Fear and faith. They had no assurance. Believers, (laughs) we have a promise of salvation. We have assurance The Ninevites did not have this. The Ninevites only had a message of judgment. What is our message? What is the message that the gospel speaks to us today? We have a promise. His name is Jesus Christ. We have assurance. His name is Jesus Christ. We have this. Jesus Christ tells us to believe and we shall live. And yet sometimes it's still hard for us to change. Sometimes it's still hard for us to turn and to call out mightily to God daily. And we have the promise. But what we don't have is sometimes we don't have that same fear. We don't have that same fear that the Ninevites had. Sometimes, and I'm not pointing a finger at you guys, please and I did this study and I had to go through what I'm going to say, how I wanted to say. Believe me, I was looking at my own life. Believe me, I was asking myself these questions. Jacob, are you living like this? Jacob, are you thinking like this? Jacob, are you turning and are you calling mightily to God? So please, don't take it like I'm just saying, guys, do better, do better. We got to do better. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I want to encourage you to walk worthy every single step that we take, that we may be a glorious thing to God. Because he deserves it. But sometimes it's really hard for us to change because we get comfortable. We get comfortable in our possessions. We get comfortable in in our possessions. We get comfortable in our bank accounts. We get comfortable in our shade. And that comfort sometimes stops us from shedding and changing the way that these Ninevites changed. If we're going to make the change that we need to daily for Christ, we need to remember fear and faith, just like the Ninevites. So we will move into our last point, our last point here. This is the promised word. So we've gone through point one, which was the Lord's word. We've gone through point two, which is the believed word. And now we go to the promised word. And this is the point where I am extremely encouraged. This is a point where I truly love it because we really get to see God's personality. I talked about how I wanted to study Jonah and, and because it really offered a window into the personality of who our father truly is. And why we should worship him because he's merciful, he's loving, he's patient. Yes, he's powerful, yes. But his words are true. So as we get to verses 9 to 10, we read, When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
Now, this brings up a really good question, a really big question, and I I, I really just want to address it right here because this is going to help us. Here in this last verse, we see that God relents, right? Jonah goes in, 40 days, and you're going to be overthrown. You've got 40 days. 40 days, that's it. You don't have 41 days. You have 40. And if you don't change, you're going to be destroyed. That's the message Jonah gave. That's the message God gave. But in this last verse, God, God relents of the disaster that he, he's going to bring to them. Because God saw how all the creatures, both man and of beast, how they put on the sackcloth, how they, how they repented, he saw their hearts change. He saw just as visibly their change of their hearts, just as visibly as he saw the wickedness that was plaguing their hearts. He saw it. He saw them relent. And because of so, God relents of the disaster that he said he was going to bring to them. So what happens here? Does God, does God change his mind? Did he change his mind? Did God make a mistake? I mean, that's a valid question that you could be asking yourself as you read this. What are you doing here, God? What, what's going on here? The answer is no. The answer is no, God did not change his mind. And the answer is definitely no, God did not make a mistake. God doesn't change his mind, and God doesn't make mistakes. But what happened? What happens? I'll just tell you that God has already declared in his words what his intentions are. God already speaks about this. God speaks that if you turn from your wickedness, that he would spare you. He's already has said this. The question isn't, will God relent? That is not the question. The question is, will we as people change enough in our hearts that would cause God to relent? That's the question. It's not, did God change? He doesn't change. Did we change? Did we? And it's evident here that in the city of Nineveh that they changed their way of living. I mean, we read how everyone fasted. They put on the sackcloth. We talked about how they turned away from their evil ways and from the violence that was in their hands. And we read that they called out mightily to God. I mean, the change was evident. The Ninevites had shed themselves of the wickedness that was once the main thrust woof, of their life. That's how they lived. Wicked. And they changed. These heathen, violent people changed their heart posture. They changed their way of living, and therefore they changed their outcome. It's not God that changes. It's the situation that changed. Now, I want to bring up a couple verses for you guys to help you understand this. This was very encouraging to my heart. I want you to flip over. I don't ask you to do this often, but I want you to flip over to Jeremiah in your Bible, or you can go into your electronic device, whichever one you're using right now. And I want you to look up Jeremiah 18. All right, I'll give you a moment. Go to Jeremiah 18. I believe this is Jeremiah's like maybe five or six books back previous before you get to Jonah. So just flip there. We're going to Jeremiah verse or chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 8. And you know what? I'll throw in verse 9 as well. Jeremiah 18, 8. God says, If that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. You see it? If that nation concerning which I have spoken turns... If they turn from their evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intend to do to it. And on the latter, it says in verse 9, And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, so they don't turn, right? They're not turning. They're not listening to him. Then I will relent of the good 
that I intend to do to it. So either you're going to turn and you're going to re- you're going to listen and God will relent himself of the disaster or you're not going to listen and God's going to relent himself of the good. He's already made it clear what he's going to do. It's not God that's changing. It's us that has to change. What are we going to do? What are we as a nation, as a people, what are we going to do? Are we going to turn from the wickedness and the violence that's in our hands or not? But God's already said it. Now, again, I don't ask you to do this often, but turn to Ezekiel 18. So go past Jeremiah, you're going to go past Lamentations, and then you'll get to Ezekiel. Not a far flip. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 18. Verses 21 through 23, and we're talking about how God has already spoken these words, so, it's, so it's, it's just proof for us that no, God did not change his mind. No, God did not make a mistake because it's already been declared. Ezekiel 18, verses 21 through 23, God says, But if a wicked person turns away from his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Go down still, Ezekiel 18, look at verse 27 through 29. Verse 27 reads again, God says, Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness that he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life because he has considered and turned away from the transgression that he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. So here it is again. God declaring that if one will turn from their evil ways, then he will be spared. And none of the transgressions that he has committed will be remembered against him. None of it. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to have. Right? Sometimes we say, oh yeah, we forgive you. But do we? Do we sometimes truly forgive and say, you know what? None of what you did in the past matters. Nothing. Well, here, this is what God is saying. If you turn, I will forgive you, and your transgressions will be forgotten. And this is exactly what the Ninevites did. This is what they did. They turned from their wickedness, they considered God, and they were spared. And how encouraging is this for us? We should be super encouraged to know that our Lord and Savior spares like this. We should rejoice in the fact that no matter what evil we've done, no matter what, that we can always turn and we can always repent in our hearts and the Lord will spare us. But why does he do this? Why does he do this? Why does he save the wicked if they turn? Last verse. You're in Ezekiel 18. Stay there. Stay in Ezekiel 18 for a moment. Drop down to verse 32. The Lord says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I mean, what a beautiful passage this is. What a beautiful passage this is. Because it gives you a window into God's heart. The Lord lets us in and sees that he doesn't take pleasure in death. He doesn't want that outcome. He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that from me. He doesn't want that from the Ninevites. This is why God comes to Jonah in chapter 1. This is why the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, in verse 1. This is why it comes back to him in verse 3. Because he doesn't take pleasure in death. He doesn't want that. God didn't take pleasure in death then, and God doesn't take pleasure in death now. The core message is the same today as it was in Nineveh. Believe and repent and have life or not, and be destroyed and suffer judgment. 
eternal life with Jesus Christ or eternal life in hell. Everyone has this choice. Everyone, each and every single day, has an open invitation to accept Jesus Christ in their hearts. And if you're watching on live stream, or if you're sitting here and you truly haven't really fully believed and taken Jesus Christ and made him number one in your heart, I invite you to. I invite you to turn from the wickedness that's in your lives and go to the one that truly can deliver, Jesus. Go to him. Get on your spiritual ark. Get on the spiritual ark and save yourselves. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save our souls. Not money. Money can't save our souls. This world can't save our souls. For children, your mom and dad, they'll do everything for you, but they can't save your souls. They can't save my daughter's souls. I can't save my daughter's souls. That's why I pray every single day for Jesus to come in to their lives. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus already, let us continue to cultivate a servant's heart. Like the Ninevites, let us turn away from our sins and let us call out mightily to God. Because the city of Nineveh rose up and they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 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 He was a stubborn, rebellious, tripped up in his own idolatry type of a person, a prophet. This was Jonah. His, his sermon that he preached was eight, only eight words long. It was just a message of judgment. That was it. There was no salvation. There was no escape, just judgment. And yet they repented. Jesus Christ says we have something greater than Jonah. Matthew 12, 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We have something greater than Jonah indeed. And yet at times it's still hard for us to change. Sometimes it's so hard for us to shed ourselves daily. Sometimes it's so hard for us to pick up our cross and to deny ourselves and to follow him. Look, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I forget I even have a cross to pick up. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I forget that I need to be looking for his footsteps so that I can follow his footsteps. I forget because I'm so quick to take my steps. Well, I got to do this. 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 No. We need to slow down. And we need to remember that daily we need to die to our sins and we need to pick up our cross and that we need to look for his footsteps and we need to stay close to him and be an imitator of God as beloved children. That's what we need to do. The Ninevites feared the judgment and they repented and there was a revival that spread across the city and the people turned. I pray for a revival in our lives. Just like in Asbury I pray that the hearts of people in our lives that we love that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ would change. I pray that they would feel compelled, just like those students in Asbury. They were compelled not to leave. They wanted to go back in. They wanted to just stay where God was. They wanted to just be saturated in the Holy Spirit. They wanted to be there. They couldn't go to their dorm to eat. They didn't want to go sleep somewhere else. They wanted just to be there. I pray for those people in our lives that we love, that they would have the same feeling. We have them in our lives. We know people in our lives that we care about very much. And you know what? We know that they're lost. We know that they're hurt. And we know judgment's coming to them. If they don't accept Jesus, we have people that we love. Pray for them. The thought of judgment coming to them should break our hearts. It should pain us that we have people that don't know about him yet and haven't accepted him yet. And where we're saved, we should be able to just pray for them to be saved as well. We should speak to others of the powerful words of God because they're true and that God can work in their hearts if we speak. Look, Jonah spoke. 
Jonah, he was a rotten prophet. He didn't want to do what he was told to do. He, he was disobedient. He was rebellious, but yet he still spoke. We can't let Jonah out-preach us. We can't let Jonah out-speak us. We need to be able to open our mouths and to be a bold witness. Isn't that what, what Steve tells us day in, day out, every time we come here for what, the past year and a half, two years? To be a bold witness? Let us be a bold witness for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom, of what's in store for us that believe. Let's not be outdone by someone like Jonah. Are we speaking? Are we believing in our hearts each and every single day? Are we turning away from the wickedness that's in our hearts sometimes, that's in our minds sometimes? Sometimes our thoughts can get wicked. Are we turning it away? Are we picking up our cross every single day? Every single day we should be communicating with ourselves the gospel because every single day there should be a revival in our hearts and just like in Asbury, we should, we should long to be in his presence. Truly, we have something greater than Jonah indeed. I pray that on this day that you would be encouraged, that you would fall in love with him again, that you would open up your hearts, and that we would speak and be a bold witness for him. Because it's the powerful word of God that works. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, your word does not return void, Father. Even if it's just an eight-word message from a rotten prophet who was reluctant, the power of your word still worked to change thousands, to change the wickedness of thousands. You brought thousands to repentance. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people of this nation. This nation needs you more than ever. We live in a nation of murder. We lived in a confused, confused world where children sometimes don't know what to call themselves. But Lord, I pray that the hearts of the children here and the hearts of the children that we love would be impacted by your love, by your grace, and that you would have mercy on all of us. Father, may there be a revival, not just in this world, in this nation, but in our hearts. May we be revived in the love that you bring to us, Father, and may we live like redeemed people, Father. And may we show others and speak to others of your glory and your grace. May your powerful word spread across this town and others, Father. We need you. Lord, we need you. We honor you. I pray that we would worship you as we go home. We think about you when we wake up the next morning. We think about you the day after that, Father. I pray that the revival would spring forth in our hearts. Only you can do this, Lord. It's in Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.